0: Hello, and welcome to A Long Way Down, a Delta Ray deep dive. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Casey Lane Wilson, and I'm joined by Rebecca McNulty. Rebecca, say hi. Hi. Yeah, so you do follow commands sometimes, so that's good. <laughs> so we are here because we decided to do a podcast about Delta Ray, yes? Yes. And we decided to do this and because?
1: The timing is mostly because... They're in the middle of the most magical Kickstarter I have ever witnessed. I don't know about you, Casey.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I've watched a lot of Kickstarters. There's a lot of different kinds of interesting things that happen, but yeah, no, it's it's been a really fun thing to watch the last uh, since they launched it on July 1st, um, and it's wrapping up uh, at the end of August. We're recording this what August 21st. Good.
1: Yes, I've lost that, that, that is track of days of the week. So sure.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's very important that I actually know the day of the week because I'm you know have to be teaching and stuff um but that's actually yeah but that's actually another part of like why we decided we wanted to do this podcast is you and I are both academics and teachers um and you know we've had a lot of conversations about how much we love the band for various reasons but also we have a lot of conversations about how could this connect to things that we teach or what are some of the kind of Higher-level academic theory connections that we're seeing here, or the literary connections or allusions, um, and so we—I think—we've kind of decided that we want to indulge in that a little bit and and pick apart some of that stuff that we find so fascinating.
1: Absolutely, no. We've been talking about wanting to bring Daltile into the classroom for probably two years now. Well, I mean, and with us, thought- like, oh no, go yeah. ahead. I'm not in the place where I can actually teach it right now and given that I'm teaching tech comm but I am making notes for future classes. Well and it's it's
0: something that you know I, I know that Tilt Array has perhaps a a higher percentage than usual contingent of uh, fans who are teachers and also writers um, and other creatives uh, and, and I think that it's something that it's a, their music tends to offer a really natural exploration of that because they put so much of that kind of explicitly upfront and clear. Um, And, you know, so I think that we'll be able to get into a lot of that as um, the kind of podcast progresses. And we don't know exactly how many episodes we're going to be doing, but we'll try and do a handful so that we can cover a number of different things.
1: various arguments that we've been meaning to have.
0: Oh yeah, no, we'll definitely be having some arguments um the 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 great badlands debates of 2019 will be happening so yeah there's a lot of stuff that we want to get into and look into um i think maybe it would be worth spending a couple minutes just kind of talking about our backgrounds as scholars and teachers because we have similar but also very different backgrounds (laughs) um and kind of i think we'll each be speaking to different things as the podcast goes on um do you want to go first rebecca
1: Yeah, sure. I am a PhD candidate at the University of Florida, finishing up my dissertation in theory on what happens to artists after apocalyptic moments in science fiction. And I spend a lot of time looking at speculative fiction, meaning science fiction, fantasy, horror, and how those genres speak to the cultural moments, both in which they're written and in which they're read.
0: Right. So, you know, the dark album, not anything that you're going to be too no. grumpy
1: about having. Yeah, no. It's not good <laughs> if I it in any anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, and 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 so for me, um I study and write young adult fiction in particular um and children's literature. Uh, but I'm also kind of just dabble in a little bit of everything. Um I Especially when it comes to pop culture, I I will talk ear off all day about television and music and video games and, uh, you know, kind of all of those things and bring a little bit of all of it into my teaching and into uh, my academic stuff, you know, my dissertation so many years ago now, um, even though it's only been like three years, it still feels far, far long, long ago um, was about the teenager in the United States and how um, our young adult, how young adult literature offers insight into our changing perspectives on the teenager's place in society, Um, which is, you know, no small part of why anytime Delta Ray puts out a us against the world kind of song, whether it's Outlaws or Badlands, uh, I, am instantaneously in love with it
1: and Uh, also instantaneously optimistic about it
0: well that's a whole other thing really but yes um but that again we can't we can't get into the badlands debates that's not what this episode is that 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 deserves its own full episode and it will happen um but uh yeah so
1: anything else that we should establish before we get going um We've both been lucky enough to be able to develop some really interesting syllabi in the past. So, a lot of what I have been considering in terms of Delta Ray music is just where it fits in American themes. And I mean, American, like American literature, American cultural moments.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that. One of the things that will happen as we go through the episodes is, you know, we also, so we both primarily teach at the college level. Um, A lot of the stuff that we talk about will, of course, be adaptable to a variety of levels. Um, I know there are a lot of high school teachers who might have interest or particular um, affinities for trying to bring the um, Delta Ray's music into the classroom. But it's, it is something where, yeah, like, I think we both have, a wide range of approaches and, and experiences with this and a lot of flexibility in how we teach, which is something we've been very lucky to have. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that'll be something that, that we'll see, right? You know, like, we'll t- probably talk at a few occasions about how to teach Delta Ray in context of American literature, but also in terms of a composition class, or, um, you know, we'll, we'll find a way to get it into your tech writing class. <laughs> I, I am capable of doing this.
1: or hey, um, the more you help, the more I can. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, so I think I think I forgot to mention, uh, so Rebecca and I know each other because we went to grad school together and we're roommates for better or for worse on her part. And she had to tolerate me and my menagerie of animals. Um, but uh, I am now uh, teaching in-
1: I miss the puppies.
0: Yeah, well, they miss you too. Um, I'm now working at Francis Marion University, just started yesterday teaching um, at the new school that I am at. So I'm excited about that. Um, And yes, the the dogs are here. Um, I am in a brand new house to me that is very old and has very few functioning doors, as we learned the hard way multiple times. Um, So if you hear dogs moving around or barking in the background, I apologize. I can't really lock them away. Right now. now, they're actually being sleepy good girls. So that's for the best. Anyway, okay, so enough about us. Let's uh, get started. Um, so so yeah, Rebecca, one of the things that you had mentioned before in terms of the timing is the fact that um, we wanted to get this podcast going before the Kickstarter ended. Um, we, we could have potentially done it earlier, but I had to go and get a new job and move between to a new state and buy a house and all of this stuff. And we did all of that. And you helped me. And um, then we went to a concert in the middle of it. It was a whole fun thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Because why wouldn't you go to the middle of a field in the middle of moving and buying a house and starting a new job?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was only a tri-state week-long trip. It was fine. (laughs) But, yeah. So we thought we would start by talking a little bit on kind of a, a high level about... The Kickstarter itself, right? Because so we're gonna get, we're gonna dive into specifics about um, their music and lyrics and you know literary allusions and all of these things um, as the weeks go by. But one of the things that is really interesting is to think about how this Kickstarter is functioning and how it came about and what it's doing. Because for those who aren't aware, which I imagine is probably few people listening to a podcast specifically about Delta Ray, but you no, know, context is always good. Uh, they Delta Ray recently split from their label, uh, Big Machine, and has gone independent again, um, launching a Kickstarter to try and create uh, their next couple albums, and it has been very successful. I think more successful than any of the six of them anticipated, um, because it was you know funded pretty much immediately and has been overfunded um, and it's a, re- it's a really interesting example of a few things. Um, you know, it's, it's an example of the excitement that comes from being able to directly support some, uh, you know, something that people care about. Uh, it's an example of amazingly fortunate and coincidental timing. Um, when you can get the Taylor Swift fans on your bandwagon. And it's also kind of on a larger scale a testament to some of the new ways that we're funding and supporting media. Um, so Rebecca, like what's, you mentioned before that this is one of the kind of the the more magical Kickstarters that you've seen. Um, how much do you know about like how Kickstarter functions and like, yes, you know, other examples that you've seen and some of the ways that it works? Do you have much of a kind of background in that?
1: I have a lot less than I think you do. My interest has largely been following patrons. Is that, how do you pronounce that? I've never actually said that out loud before. Patron? Yeah. Patrons and watching.
0: Oh, Patreons. Are you talking about the now? Yeah. Patreons.
1: Patreons. Um, I've been watching artists and authors largely try and navigate that as a funding source. So over the last, I'd say, two years, it's probably jumped up maybe mm-hmm. 50 and 60% of the artists and writers I follow. Testing the waters of the patron more so than the Kickstarter model and mm-hmm. just exploring what is it that fans want, what right. kind of feedback cycle can artists produce on a monthly basis that circumvents traditional methods of media consumption.
0: Right. So one of the things that's really interesting is, so in terms of kind of the cycle of how these things developed, right, we we know of Kickstarter as, as one of the big ones that kind of happened first. And all of these models are variations on previous models, not saying that anything, you know, reinvented the wheel necessarily. But Kickstarter really took off in this big way. And Kickstarter had both, you know, great success stories of these people who were able to, you know, Launch projects and products and all of these things um, that they could not have done other ways, um, and getting you know really interesting careers off the ground and doing different things, and of course it's also had a lot of massive failures, right? Of uh, people who overpromised and severely underdelivered, and then there have been other things, you know, um, Indiegogo obviously as the cure all for our terrible capitalist system. But uh, one of the other things, as you talk about, is this idea of kind of the one-time versus the more sustainable model, right? That Kickstarter is this everybody jumps on for this one-time event and, you know, pays their money and gets their rewards and their, you know, what have you, um, and gets the product and then that's done. Versus uh, something like Patreon or the formerly separate from and eventually subsumed by and kind of forgotten, Subbable um, that you know uh, eventually got uh, pulled into to Patreon. Um, I know about Subbable largely because of my master's thesis on John and Hank Green and the Blog Brothers. Uh, but that these that the the difference is right that one is this one-time big investment, and another is trying to build long-term, ideally sustainable, recurring support, right?
1: Well, and even then, a lot of a lot of the struggle I've seen between either of these models is what does long term support actually mean? So if I choose to pledge at the dollar level on a Patreon account versus twelve dollars in the single Kickstarter, Hmm. these when or if I choose to stop funding, at least in one that's expected and in the other it's more of a blow so i don't think there are any answers to how sustainable any of these products are but it's making some really interesting discussions about how we can support the creations that we love yeah well
0: and it's it's interesting too because there are so many factors that go into how these things function, right? You know, with a Kickstarter, you have this limited time frame to jump on board, right? And so you're building excitement in this kind of now is the moment, take advantage of it before it's gone kind of way, right? Yeah, you know, like I um another recent really successful massively successful kickstarter was um from the critical role team and critical role is a, a dungeons and dragons kind of streaming show where where voice actors play the game together it's become really really popular and it's you know i was telling you this recently rebecca but like i got into watching critical role right as the kickstarter was happening and i wasn't invested enough to want to jump into the kickstarter then and i'm kind of sad that i didn't in retrospect because now I'm I'm deeply invested and I want that plush trinket bear. I want it, but it was part of the Kickstarter, right? And so like there is it it, it has this particular value of this like momentum-building bandwagon jumping kind of moment. Um, whereas your kind of more long-term models, they're hoping that it's maybe less flashy, but more ongoing but as you say like those numbers shift and change and you know one of the things that i know happens a lot also that like you don't we don't always think about but that is part of this factor is like what happens when your credit card expires Mm
1: -hmm. do
0: you remember to go back and update it at all these places Mm -hmm. um you know during uh so maximum fun is a podcast network that's uh listener supported and during their funding drives this past year a lot of their podcasts that were talking specifically about we lose a lot of more people than you'd think just because your card expired or your card number changed and you don't think to update it, um, and so yeah, it, it's it's particularly interesting in term for me in terms of like I, I get really fascinated by how some of the very specific ways that we that our technology works dictates all of these other things that happen. But then one of the other things I was going to say is that there's a little bit of a utopian impulse to uh kickstarters and patreons right of this is the direct way to support this is the the best way this is the the way that you are you know as you say like supporting the things that that we love but it's more complicated than that (laughs) because it always is right like i remember we were (laughs) in the middle of my ridiculous moving week when you were helping me. We were having an, one of the two empty house parties that we had after I loaded up the truck in Atlanta. Uh, we were watching um, an interview with Amanda Palmer. Uh, and Amanda Palmer is an independent musician who's you know very well respected in a lot of circles and has done work with Dress and Dolls and you know, various uh, things. And And she also had a very successful Kickstarter. And I don't know if you remember this, Rebecca, but one of the things that, because you were also grading at the time, like a you know teacher does. But one of the things that she mentioned is how she doesn't really understand why everybody is so quick to want to go to like a label or this or that when they could go directly to their fans. Like, okay, say you have three thousand people, go to them and ask, you know, like, can you support me? And one of the things that I find really interesting is that there's that utopian impulse of just go to your fans and ask them. It's like, yeah, but how do you get those fans in the first place?
1: Um, I think one of the reasons why you and I have become so devoted to the Delta Ray experience is the intentionality with which they have looked at gaining fans. They have a very fan by fan, win them over one by one approach, both at the live shows with an incredible stage presence and finding ways to chat with fans before and after shows, engaging on social media, just this incredible attention to the individual rather than the larger fan group. It's easy Mm -hmm. to say, here, I've given something to my fans, but going on Twitter and responding individually to individual comments is something that we don't see as often in any of these large groups just because of the time factor. Well,
0: time factor and also just scale, right? That some of that stuff just doesn't scale to a
1: particular degree. And it's been really interesting watching as they gain fans because my goodness, they must be spending a lot of time trying to maintain that same level and they're doing a great job of that.
0: Right. Well, and you, you spend more time on that side of the equation than I do because you're better at talking to strangers on the internet than I am. Um, but yeah, well, it, but it, it's, it's just something that I find really interesting because there's always this give and take, this push and pull, right, of, okay, yes, it's great to have this direct support model, but only if people can find you to support you in the first place. And how do you manage that? And how do you do that? And there's no way to know, like, you know, alternate historical paths, there's no way to to know what would have happened had they had Delta Ray not gone on their two labels before, right? Like, that's not kind of where I'm going with it. But it is interesting to think about how, you know, with someone like Amanda Palmer saying, like, what if I just go to my fans and ask each of them for a dollar? She already has this really existing and huge fan base. And so it's a lot easier to find something sustainable. But if you're starting out and you're brand new and you're like, hey, my four fans, can you give me a dollar? Like that's not going to make a difference, right? Um, and so I just I just find it really interesting in all of the rhetoric around these Kickstarters and Patreons, how some of those traditional modes are the way that people got to the non-traditional funding sources. All of which is to say that it's it's really interesting. And I think it's going to be continue to be really interesting moving forward to see how the Kickstarter begets future things, right? What does that look like? What does the next step look like? What does kind of, you know, got these next couple albums lined up? What comes after that? What do things look like? How does it work? Um, and there are things always that you can't predict, you know, I made reference to the, you know, sheer coincidental timing that, they happened to launch their Kickstarter the same week that Taylor Swift got mad at their former level, label. That worked very well in their favor. That's not something you can plan for. And so that's part of the fun of those kinds of moments, right? And part of the fun of those kinds of experiences is realizing that the unexpected is happening kind of throughout the whole thing.
1: So one of the, reasons, the ways that I begin teaching anything is the historical context. And there's a in lit circles about whether or not you can use that historical moment. Do you use the author's biography? Do you use any extenuating circumstances that were surrounding the moment when this author is writing? Or do you deal with the text itself exclusively? And I've always found myself sort of straddling that line. I like to assign a text and ask students to read it cold and then come mm-hmm. in with a lecture on that background after they've had their own experience with it. I think that bridges some of the divide in, I don't want my students to take too much from that narrative background, but I also think it informs the text in a way that it can't simply be ignored. So I like the double up. So if I were teaching this Kickstarter, it would be circumventing that swarm of text It really depends on whether or not the album in question were out if I were to be teaching it. So if we're looking at this at this exact moment, right at this moment, it's impossible to ignore the circumstances around that first magical week. And Mm -hmm. then I would want to look at the factors that led to the independence in the first place. Now, what might be almost a more interesting question would be how to teach these two albums in two years when they're out and I'm not quite sure and I'm thinking about that now as we're talking I wonder if you have any thoughts
0: well I I think there are a lot of different things in a lot of different ways like for me um, it would depend you know so much on the context that I want to bring it in I think um in terms of the Kickstarter yeah, I think that there's something that could be really interesting and kind of fun to think about like let's do a really kind of close analysis of, say, the first week and, and how this functioned and what happened and how these things came about. Um, for me, I also, with the Kickstarter, and anytime I talk about things like Kickstarter with my students, I really like to put things into not just like a historical context, but also in tandem with that, a, a context of the larger media landscape, right? And so how something like the Kickstarter is Kickstarter as a model, right? And I, I I like to focus very much on models and systems is something that I, I find interesting much of the time. And so uh, one of the things I would do is think about this as, you know, what versions of this have we seen in the past, right? What were, there's a reason it's called Patreon, right? It's the idea of you're getting patrons. How have we had, you know, how have artists had patrons historically? What does that look like? But also, you know, thinking about it from a tech, technical writing perspective, how do you promote? How do you articulate what you're trying to do? Why this should be promoted? How do you brand it, right? For me, just off the top of my head now, throwing together a quick lesson plan, it would be find a couple successful Kickstarters, find a couple disastrous Kickstarters. Do you notice any differences? Can we analyze them? Can we pull them apart to see just on a surface Front level, how they function, what what the difference is, um, sure. but also to your question about kind of teaching the light and the dark albums, I have an endless array of <laughs> array of ways I would I would think about teaching it, because um, I think it also it, you know this is something we can't know yet because they don't exist yet um, or at least they haven't been you know released yet. But one of the things that is going to be really interesting is seeing how these two albums speak to one another. Um, and how they speak to the full discography. Um, one of the episodes we'll get into down the line, I'm sure, is you know I have a lot of theories about kind of the thematic impulses I would say of of each of their full albums, and I have I have suspicions, I have ideas of what the light and the dark are going to end up being in relationship to what the previous albums have been.
1: Um, and a lot of what I would like to look at in, you know, future land where we have these and everyone is happy is how the Kickstarter is working to brand these albums before they exist. So we're getting little teasing bits of shadow and spark, little yeah. moments of this is what the light is gonna be, this is what the dark is gonna be. And how does the Kickstarter momentum speak to those previews and the one thing Mm -hmm. i really want to know in my future life is how the kickstarter model changes the pre-order model so right now one of the Mm -hmm. large band pushes is how many 20 dollars pledge levels can the band get in the next 10 days because that's a pre-order of both the light and the dark that's two pre-ordered albums Eight months and within 20 months of two different moments of creation. Mm-hmm. How is that going to boost excitement, boost sales when the album's released? And I know Amanda Palmer had a, Amanda yeah. Palmer was discussing how she considered the Kickstarter a, she considered the Kickstarter to be less of a pre order campaign and more of a funding of a concept. i know there's a quote where she's saying just think how many sales we're going to get once the album drops
0: and how that was very inaccurate yeah how she she went on to talk about how it's something that like yeah that she was expecting this to be the starting point and then the album comes out and a whole bunch more people would want it um when in reverse it was when actuality it was the people who supported the kickstarter are the people who would have supported the album um, and so it ends up being this this thing of, yeah, when you're thinking about like pre-order models of what this is about, like what is the the actual number versus like what's the hypothetical future can you build on it once okay. you've done it this way?
1: And that is one of those it's the same question oh, hi Spider.
0: where sorry, does I just there was It seems very thematically appropriate because we're talking and I looked down one second ago and there was no spider and I turned away and I looked back and there's a little spider on my computer.
1: Hi, Spider-Friend.
0: He's very cute. Hanging out. Wants to know more about the Dark Album. (laughs) Or maybe I'm stereotyping. Maybe it's here for the Light Album. Maybe I shouldn't make assumptions about Spider-Friends. But yeah, no, I think that that's... One of the more, To me, that was one of the more interesting things about the interview with Amanda Palmer was her talking about the way she didn't understand what was actually happening with the Kickstarter um, and the way she kind of made naive assumptions and bad choices and, and misunderstood things, because I think it is really easy to get wrapped up in this idea of, well, if this is who we've gotten here, imagine how many people we can get in the future. And it's hard to continue that kind of ramp up, I feel like.
1: And I'm very curious, again, looking back from a future point, to see how the Kickstarter model, if it continues to develop for other artists, changes how we see billboard labels, since every pre-order is a week of sale. Now we have a crowdfunded order. How does that change that week of, does that create a new momentum the week of release because of the hits, you know cross all fingers it hits a billboard list does that bring in new fans? Is it still the same fans? These are all the questions I have for my future self that I hope I get to answer.
0: Well and it's there's there's a lot if we're talking about systems that go into that too right of how these systems and especially like how streaming in particular has really changed the form and function of music. There have been a um, we may get into this a little bit later but there's been a lot of um, studies and analysis recently that have shown how songs are getting shorter because you want more plays on the streaming sites. Um, And so the average runtime of a song is getting shorter and shorter. And that, that, that stuff is my jam. I love that stuff. I love knowing those like weird details about how, um, again, our technology is dictating our art and vice versa. Uh, But yeah, like I think there's a lot of stuff that will be really interesting to track and to see, uh, in the future, there will, if uh, Kickstarter history is kind of any indication, the next 10 days, we'll see another flurry of things. Um, you know, like there'll, there'll be kind of a ramp up uh, towards the end of the Kickstarter, because that's usually people coming in under the wire. People like me who are waiting for their first post buying a house paycheck to come through. Um, Why would you ever need something like that? I know. But that... Yeah, like I think it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes and how it develops. And like you said, like, you know, part of kind of building momentum and offering all these insights is also that we're getting these glimpses of these albums in advance. And they're very much being talked about as a pair in the spark and shadow sessions, right? There's kind of one or the other each day going back and forth. And I think that's going to make for some really interesting analysis when the time comes. Um, I think the long and short of it is that at the moment, we're just kind of interested, curious to see how things are going to go. Um,
1: For so many reasons. Yeah,
0: we're going to try and get another episode up here pretty soon. I don't know if we've settled on an exact topic, but we've got we got lots of things lined up. We're going to dive into the Southern Gothic. We're going to talk about Flannery O'Connor. Yeah, Flannery O'Connor and the Southern Gothic and um, various musical in, you know influences. I kind of want to get into the idea of blood harmonies at some point.
1: Just because it sounds so much creepier than it actually is.
0: I mean, I feel like it's still a little creepy either way. But yeah, and of course, as we've already said, we'll have the the Great Badlands debate of 2019. And our very strong staked opinions on whether it'll be on the Light or Dark album. Hopefully they won't scoop us before we get there. But even if we do, it'll just be (laughs) righteous indignation from one of (laughs) us. But yeah, no, I think i hope I hope the next few you know weeks and the episodes to come will be fun and if there's anything in particular that you would like to hear us nerdy academics talk about um, you know if you want us to dive into <laughs> we can always we can always go to our shelves and find our you know Marxist theory or our Foucault as much as we would not want to. Um,
1: I just want to bring up my Foucault though.
0: yeah I mean Foucault is you know I'm sure at some point listen at some point we're going to get to the panopticon we have to (laughs) so um but yeah so if if there's anything in particular that anyone would like to hear let us know um we're open to topic suggestions um I'm you can find me on twitter at Casey Elaine C-A-S-E-Y-A-L-A-N-E I'm on Instagram at the same thing just throw a period in between so Casey dot Elaine um I, I think I told this story on my other short lived and soon to be revived in new form podcast, but I managed to steal my Instagram username from myself on accident. Um,
1: I don't know that story. Actually,
0: Oh yeah. No. So I joined Instagram way back in the day, Casey Lane, my standard username didn't use it for a long time. Went back, couldn't get in, didn't have the, couldn't remember the password or what have you. And and long story short, I ended up having to start a new one. And so even though the other one has never had anything posted on it and is mine, I can't access it because it exists.
1: <laughs> um,
0: and so I stole it from myself. But it's fine. It's fine. Um, and if you want pictures of my puppy, she's on Instagram at a girl named Archer. I don't know. She's cute. I haven't updated that account in a while. To- but there will be more pictures I soon. I to
1: live for my daily Archer pictures. Now I don't know why I'm living.
0: She's she's a South Carolina dog. Now we've got to we got to get that fixed.
1: And you can find yes. me anywhere and everywhere at R L Mcnulty R L M C N U L T Y because I am dull with my usernames. No, it's good. It's
0: good. It's easy. Um, but but yeah. So find us there and share the podcast if it's not too torturous to listen to. And even if it is, why not? torture your friends. That's fine. And we will be back soon. Any, any last thoughts, pearls of wisdom? No, I'm just forward to arguing. Yeah, no, that'll be the fun one when we're both awake and coherent and can argue. That'll be a good time.
1: Thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, hold our hands because it's a long way down.